Blog Talk Radio. Hello, it's Thursday, May the 9th, 2013. My name is Michael Gordon, and you're listening to The Mind Whisperer. On today's program, we are looking at calling versus vocation. And what is your life's purpose? It's a very uh, big topic, um, something on a lot of people's minds. We find ourselves moving through life without really knowing or considering what our higher calling or purpose might be in life. And uh, before we begin, I just want to welcome everyone to the program, and if you're listening to the uh, podcast on iTunes or uh, through a link from Facebook or um, on here on Blog Talk Radio on our um, homepage, uh, which is the Mind Whisperer. Um, just like to welcome you to the program, and if you are listening in live, um, you can call in at any time at three four seven nine four five seven eight nine one. That's three four seven nine four five seven eight nine one. And uh, you know we're open to talking about anything you want on the program. That's not necessarily about today's topic, though. Um, it's always great to focus on the topic at hand, and um, we're going to get right to that right now. So, what do we mean when we say calling versus vocation? Well, the idea of calling is something that uh, goes quite far back in history, even you know into um, antiquity. You know, and going back to Plato um, and some of the other Greek philosophers, you know, looking at the notion of um, what was called genius, um, but we can look at it in terms of an intrinsic. Uh, sense of self and a sense of sort of driving purpose. And that word genius um, evolved through um, different eras and different traditions to be called uh, guardian angel in Christian tradition. Um, in, in the Renaissance, it was called the demon uh, or the daemon, which is spelled D-A-E-M-O-N. Um, and so this is sort of like your inner guide, if you will. And this is important to us to look at um, the difference between what the social pressures and expectations are for, um, you know, your focus in life in terms of your um, your living or your um, your purpose and and uh, you know what what drives you through life and what your um, what your calling is is can be different than what your your job or your profession or your vocation is. Much of what we um, have come to be oriented to in modern times is vocation. So if we look at the Briggs-Myers test, which is a psychological aptitude test, um, if we look at um, you know, school counseling um, you know, and high school counseling, um, if we look at the way that aptitude scores are skewed, um, they're all oriented towards where you fit in in terms of your working life and what your aptitudes are in terms of vocation. And what we mean by vocation is what your uh, professional uh, position is in life and where your skills are applied. And how is that different than calling? 
Well, calling is something that's a, a higher or a deeper um, inspiration or instinct within yourself. Um, and that is towards where your passion is in life and and where your gifts are. And uh, you don't want to bring in at this point uh, a book and a, a theoretical framework that was and is uh, very pivotal to my understanding of calling. And again, when we're talking about your, your calling in life, we're talking about your soul's purpose. There's a deeper... Um, um, I, I, calling is the perfect word, really. It's deeper motivation. It's that sense of being pulled towards you, what your passion and what your gifts are. And there was a book that came out in the 90s by um, an American psychologist by the name of James Hillman. He's a very powerful writer. And uh, the book was called The Soul's Code. And in this book, uh, Hillman outlines uh, two profound... Um, social and psychological theories, if you will, or philosophical theories. One from Plato and uh, one from Sigmund Freud. And so the uh, Platonic version is that our souls uh, are become present in this uh, incarnation, in this flesh and bone mortality, having crossed over what was called the the planes of of uh, forget forgetfulness or forgetting, and so our souls sort of arrive here um, without really any knowledge of why we're here, and our our life is a is a series of trying to reconcile of events and experiences to, to reconcile the the spiritual coming to terms with uh, our moral experience, and so the eternal or spiritual aspect of our soul is trying to um, cope with the, the, the human experience and and reconcile that difference between heaven and earth and what its purpose is in this, in this lifetime, in this incarnation. And so how this relates to Freud is quite fascinating in terms of how Hillman puts it across. He uses several case studies to look at the life path of some prominent individuals, and how um, how these two uh, juxtaposed theories can be used to sort of under, have deeper understanding of um, why people struggled and where and how they evolved over their lifetime and ended up in these in these uh, very profound um, situations. The other aspect of the Plato theory is that he suggests that. Um, because we are, are are evolving from this spiritual um, embryo, in a sense, or this awakening as a mortal being from this um, forgotten spiritual or fresh slate spiritual state, um, that that intrinsic knowledge of self is is already there and we're just awakening to it. And so Plato called this the acorn theory and that is an acorn in its tiny nut contains everything that will become a giant oak tree. And human beings are no different. And so what if uh, we have an intrinsic knowledge of what our destiny is to be, what our fate is to be without fully knowing and connecting to it but we have an, an intuitive sense of what it is. 
And so Hillman juxtaposes this with um, the Freudian approach, which says that um, we ex encounter experience uh, difficulties in our early upbringing, and that makes us compensate for it later in life. So let me give you a really practical example. He talked about Winston Churchill, and he says that, you know, of course, Churchill became this great nation, uh, leader of a nation and, and during wartime and, and led um, Britain to overcome um, or overtake, uh, you know, Hitler's uh, regime and spread across Europe. And uh, so the Freudian uh, approach, when you look at the biographical data on Winston Churchill, curiously, when he was a child, he was very shy and had a stuttering problem. So you could say that he compensated for this childhood um, setback or, or um, I don't want to say disability, but, um, you know, this, this deficiency in childhood or this obstacle in childhood in his, in his uh, speech uh, pathology and became this great orator. I mean, remember that Churchill's fireside chats by the radio, you know, kept uh, England committed to, um, you know, um, pushing through the war effort to, to drive the Nazis back. They were literally, you know, half an hour across the channel. And uh, so that's a very plausible, you know, theory and, and analysis of, of how um, Winston Churchill evolved as a... As a as a great leader. But what Hillman says, if uh, the, the platonic theory actually holds more true, that if we look back and with using the acorn theory, that what if, like a reverse telescope, Churchill had an intuitive sense of what he was to face later in life as a child, like the acorn that has all the elements of the, of the, of the giant oak that it will emerge into. And so what if that caused him to have a stuttering problem? What if he knew that he was going to be, his words alone would inspire a nation to uh, succeed against odds? Because remember that, you know, in, in the war, uh, the Nazi regime was pressing onwards and, and uh, rapidly throughout Europe and dominating in every way in the early part of the war, for sure, and, and even until the, the mid-1940s. So this is a fascinating kind of way of looking at our life path and what if we're already born with everything that we need to become great and that which we maybe not consciously but in, in, intrinsically hold um, that we know will make us great scares us to death. So this is an interesting point and it's one of the ways that I count, counsel and coach people to find out what their life purpose is. One of the ways you can find out is what makes you the most scared. Now, I don't mean in a phobic sense or in the sense of I don't like spiders or I'm afraid of heights. I mean the areas of your life that give you the most uh, trepidation and in, in terms of your comfort zone. Where are the areas that you feel least comfortable uh, going to? And, and sometimes that's the way that you can find out the, the exact areas that you should be pushing into. For example, you know, many people have a fear of public speaking, performing but they find themselves really drawn to it they love to listen to public speakers uh, stand-up comics performers you know great uh, orators whatever it is you know some people want to uh, to write and they love literature but uh, they they just feel that they don't have a voice when they put pen to paper 
and when they you know they have a fear of expressing themselves. So we can use that acorn theory to say, well, that as much as that may be an, been an impediment, and you feel as a reason not to pursue that thing, it might be the very reason why you're being shown that this is the thing that actually is what you're you're meant to do, and perhaps you're one day being great at it is what's going to make you the most terrified. Another example of that is um, the great uh, Spanish legendary bullfighter Manolete. And Manolete was gored to death by a bull at the age of 33 in the ring in front of, you know, a crowd of the stadium full of spectators. However, when he was a child, 10, 11 years old, he and his friends would go out in the street and, of course, you know, bullfighting is a national sport. I think it's quite grotesque and inhumane, but regardless. Um, and the boys would go out and pretend to be bullfighters, you know, with their mother's aprons or, you know, tea towel or whatever it was. Manolete, however, was was really averse to this and very terrified, and he would literally stay in the kitchen and hide behind his mother's apron. You know, but it, it, you'd take shelter behind his mother. Now, that's fascinating when you consider the man uh, eventually became the most celebrated bullfighter and was killed in uh, in, you know, in, the, in the moment of um, quote-unquote glory for those who uh, revel in that blood sport. And so, again, you could say that from the Freudian point of view, he compensated for this uh, childhood inadequacy or um, insecurity and uh, became this very macho bullfighter. However, the acorn theory suggests something different, which is that what if there was some unconscious but very deep-held knowing that this was his fate in the future? Why would he want to go and play bullfighter if that was to be his destiny? Now that seems like you know a bit far-fetched and it's fatalistic, and but I think it's worth exploring because uh, all of us have our our insecurities and our doubts, and if we listen to those, they can prevent us from taking action on the things that might actually be our greatest triumphs. You know, fear is fear, and it produces fearful thoughts. It doesn't produce any rational thoughts. And we know from the, the biographies of very successful people that they didn't succeed because they were the most courageous, or that they had no fear, I should say. And oftentimes, what it is that allows those people to persevere and achieve greatness is they, they persevere despite their fear, and despite the loneliness and the hardship uh, along the path. One other aspect of this I want to bring up in terms of vocation and calling is something that I've, I used uh, in my own master's thesis to look at the lives of artists. And it goes back to what I was saying about the uh, medieval or Renaissance term daemon, or demon, I guess it's probably called, uh, D-A-E-M-O-N. And it's sort of like in the cartoons when you have the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder. And if you remember from, I think it was Tom and Jerry cartoons, and uh, you know the devil voice is telling you, do this, and the angel voice is saying, no, don't do that. That's bad. You know, and so that is, you know, the 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 incarnation of this inner guide, this muse or this guardian angel. But the the in in um, the Spanish culture, and particularly in the in the flamenco tradition, in the in the Roma culture, in flamenco, there's a term called duende. Now, duende is a very interesting concept because. In Spanish, its common usage means like a house spirit, like a hobgoblin or a, or a um, poltergeist. 
but it also denotes the, this inner uh, spirit. And if that inner spirit is heeded, then we are guided sometimes by our negative motivations, our fears and our addictions, etc., to to stay on track. It kind of uh, forces us to go where we're uncomfortable. But if we don't heed that inner voice, that inner voice can become demon-like and can become destructive because it's a force unto itself. That is really your calling and your life purpose. So in the flamenco culture, when somebody is singing with a lot of uh, passion, a lot of uh, enthusiasm and, and fire, you know, the, the dancing and the singing, it's very percussive and they're stamping their feet and they're moving in very sharp movements and it's very passionate. And they say, I do an, I must do day, I do day, which means that person has, there's a lot of fire there, there's a lot of spirit. And that means that that spirit is coming through you. It's a life force that comes from the ground, from the very earth, uh, or from the ether and, and rises up through your your uh, spiritual channels or your your energetic body. And so this became fascinating to me and became sort of the backbone of my uh, thesis research about the lives of artists and how um, how we kind of evolve like these spiritual beings in uh, in Hillman's case studies to um, to work this out in a in a uh, in a mortal form. And this is uh, going back to the um, quote that's been bandied about from Deepak Chopra to many people, uh, which actually call, comes from Teilhard um, d'Expéry, who was a French, uh, I guess, mystic and spiritual um, mystic uh, and philosopher. And uh, the quote is, we are not, our problem is not that we are human beings having spiritual experience, we, but to remember that we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And so this ethereal, spiritual soul um, incarnation is wrestling with the human experience. And in Hillman's book, he actually talks about how um, how that's actually tor- sort of a tormented spirit. Um, one of the case studies he uses is also Judy Garland, who was is still considered one of the greatest popular singers of all and entertainers of all time, not just from The Wizard of Oz, but of course later in life, she's just a fantastically talented actress and singer, but very tormented. Um, you know, very problematic marriages and relationships and um, battled with um, barbiturate and alcohol addiction. And so here is this magnificent creative artistic uh, entity that uh, occupies this body and is waking up in this mortal life and struggling through this human condition to wrestle with this great power. And it goes back to that quote, again, that was misquoted as being attributed to Nelson Mandela that he gave during his inauguration speech as president of South Africa. But it actually comes from Marianne Williamson, who is the uh, creator of the uh, Course in Miracles. And that is, our greatest fear is not that we are too small or undeserving, it's that we are um, powerful beings and beings of light. And uh, essentially, that paraphrase that very simplistically, that we are scared of our own power. And that's the, the approach that I hold and I think it's consistent with what I've been talking about today. It's actually the areas that excite us the most that make us the most terrified. <clears throat> and we actually pull back in, in fear, not because we don't feel that we really deserve it, but that um, perhaps we think that we're going to overpower other people or that we, it's not you know, right for us to step above our position in life and 
And again, there's a lot of programming around vocation all through school. It's about where you fit in in the working world, what profession you take up. But if your passion is to cook or your passion is to work with children or your passion is to um, do environmental work or your passion is to paint or to sing, then that is the duende force within you. That is the force that will not be denied. And many people reconcile that by having a professional life, uh, but uh, allowing for this artistic spirit to come through them regardless. Even creative people, for example, I was just reading about uh, the actor Jeff Goldblum, who is a fantastically talented jazz pianist, uh, but never pursued it professionally. And he plays out in Los Angeles regularly. Same with Woody Allen. He's a, a very talented clarinetist. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's predominantly a writer and director. That's, he's never pursued a professional career as a musician. So this is allowing this duende to, to express itself. And um, the challenge you know, I'm putting across to you today is, you know, where is that negative energy? Where is that energy being withheld in yourself in a way that it comes out in addiction or comes out in tension, um, in self-sabotage, that maybe you are not listening, maybe you are not heeding that duende force within you, and it's turning into a destructive energy. And if you allow, if you listen, and you pay attention to the areas that you're drawn to, that if you thought money was no object, or that you were given a, or maybe perhaps you do have a, a, a you know, a terminal prognosis, uh, God forbid, you know, in, in the next few years or shorter, or you've lost somebody close to you and you're contemplating life and mortality, whatever it may be, if you turn that up and you listen to that, how would your life be different? How would you be motivated to what your purpose is and that you have a mission and you are entitled to that as much as any other human being by your birthright and that your soul has arrived here and you have a duty to that soul to fulfill its purpose? And that that, and in fact, the people who have become successful are successful not because they have high-saluting ideas about who they should be and they or they have delusions of grandeur, but they have had the courage, despite their station in life or their influences or their hardships, to listen to their own voice and that inner voice. And in fact, by by heeding that voice. And following that inclination, that's led them to their uh, true spirit and their authentic uh, being, and that's how they became successful. And that doesn't mean it's always easy, but it is authentic and it is fulfilling that deeper purpose. Gandhi is another example. I just read a quote from Mahatma Gandhi who's saying, you know, um, some people have the courage to believe in your convictions and to know what's true for you, despite what many others may think, many others may think, and that you may be alone in that. Um, if you're, you know, you may be ahead of your time, and despite the lack of uh, support of others, you have to have the courage to, to uh, stand in your own truth. And certainly, Gandhi was one who was beaten and ridiculed and isolated and, uh, you know, vilified really in a lot of ways particularly about the state of India and, and the British Empire for standing up to the British Empire and really embracing um, core spiritual and cultural um, authentic values of, of, of being Indian and coming back to the true spiritual roots of India, including, you know, being essentially an anti-materialist. And, you know, just by staying true to his convictions without using an army, without using force, he inspired 
millions to follow his lead. The power of example. The power of, of living in your truth and, and walking in your truth and the charisma and the, the attraction of that energy of one person following their conviction and it resonating with millions. Well, I hope the show has been uh, elucidating for you today and it's maybe ignited maybe a dormant spark within yourself, an area that you haven't really fully paid attention to, the the thought about the poetry you want to write or the book you want to write or the the race you want to enter or something that you feel is a burning desire within you that logically or logistically doesn't make sense, but that you know you can't ignore. It's part of you. And to have the courage to listen to that. And it doesn't mean you have to supplant your whole life or your family or your relationships to do it. Sometimes it does. But at least to have the courage to listen and say, if I had one year to live or six months to live, what would be the most important thing to do? What is my mission? What is my calling? What is calling me that I may not be listening? Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, as always, it's been my pleasure to host. My name is Michael Gordon. You're listening to The Mind Whisperer on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be here again next week. And uh, please uh, join our Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com forward slash The Mind Whisperer. Love to hear from you. Always looking for show suggestions, topic suggestions. Um, you know, Looking for your uh, own participation, participation um, to call into the show or to suggest a guest uh, interview for the show. And uh, we're now hitting 4,000 listens. It's very exciting to see the show moving forward. We also have a Twitter account. So please spread the word. Thank you so much for listening today. And we'll see you next time on The Mindless Bird. Jumped right in, took no time for reckoning.